Okay. Good morning. Woo. I'm live. Welcome to Grace Today. I, uh, it's Palm Sunday, the day we celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal entrance because the crowd were shouting. Uh, and it's an important thing to remember. I, uh, I, I looked back several years on Palm Sunday and they have a theme because you know the end of the Gospels a lot of a lot of the gospel is devoted to this last week or several days of Jesus life um, and there's such contrast because he has uh, this time of interacting with the religious leaders you know he says some things to them he he's teaching his disciples in the upper room we see that um, wonderful Passover meal that he gives. And then we see him in the garden praying. So we get all these snapshots, these pictures of Jesus. And the other thing about this that's so important for us to recognize is the theological phrase about the incarnation is that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He tells his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. But he also is fully man. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. So if we want to see what a human being looks like, who is fully submitted to God, we look at Jesus. He models for us both of those things, which is why these interactions that we see are so powerful. They're so important for us to recognize. So I've got two things I want us to look at today. We're going to look at several verses, as we always do on Palm Sunday about this last week. But I want, there are two things I want you to see. I want you to see how Jesus uses his authority, but also has humility. That's why the title. But there's another story that I want us to focus on. It's when that is a little odd. It's when he curses the fig tree. And we're going to talk about that. It's in two of the Gospels. And it's important. I think there's a, a powerful lesson here for us, too. So, like we always do, will you pray? Would you just ask the Lord to help you set aside whatever else is going on and just hear the word this morning? Would you just pray and then I'll pray for us? Father, as we come to your word, as we always do, we need your help. Your word is so important. May we receive it, understand it, and apply it. So help us now as we come to these important words of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of the common uh, passages that we look at here in Matthew is the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They're shouting praises from, from the Old Testament. They're shouting praises that recognize Jesus as the Messiah. 
And they're, they're celebrating with great delight. They're anticipating Jesus is going to do what they think the Messiah is going to do, and they are rejoicing in that. But not everybody in the crowd was excited about this. The Pharisees tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be shouting this. And Jesus says this interesting statement. He said, if these became silent, the stones would cry out. Now, as you look at this and you picture Jesus on this donkey going through the streets of Jerusalem or approaching, do you think of him as, as being um, like one of those celebrities who loves being praised? You know, like, you know, it's all about him in a way that just, you know, is kind of rejoicing in the praise. I don't think so. I think he has a different spirit in this. There is a spirit of submission to God's plan. He knows that this has to happen because this is prophesied. This is promised that this is going to happen. But he knows this crowd. He knows that some there are not excited about this at all, as evidenced by what the Pharisees say. But he also knows how fickle some of these people not all of them, for sure, but some of these people are going to shout crucify him just several days later. I don't think it was about the praise. I think it was about fulfillment. And that's why he goes through all these things. And that's why he can say, look, if they're quiet, the stones are going to cry out because God's word, God's um, word happens like he fulfills the promises that he makes and so we see this dynamic of Jesus entering with great acclaim and we're very familiar with the fact that this changes like there's this cry out to crucify him several days later but I want you to see God more of Jesus heart because we're told here in Luke when he approached Jerusalem he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. Jesus knew what was coming. Remember, he had predicted the destruction of Jerusalem um, when he talked to the disciples, and they asked when this was going to happen, and he knew that the stones would be torn down. He knew there was great, great difficulty ahead, and he weeps for that. Remember, I said we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus, it's possible for us to talk about wrath and think that God is eager to pour his wrath on people. But the scriptures don't tell us that. He, it says he is not willing for any to perish. So we see Jesus knowing that wrath is coming, <laughs> knowing it's coming, is not delighting in that wrath being poured out. We're told that um, in the end times that it's going to be like the days of Noah. And that's, again, not something God is eager to pour out. It happens out of his justice and out of his righteousness. But again, that's not what he wants. And that, again, speaks to our authority as human beings. He gives us the right to make decisions, and he respects those decisions. If you reject him, he respects that. So Jesus weeps. We see his heart in this journey through the streets. 
But we also see his zeal. We also see how he demonstrates that authority in the temple. Um, the Gospels all have this account, all, th- all four Gospels. You know, John has it happening at the beginning of his ministry. He puts it in the beginning of the book. The rest of them here near the end as Jesus comes in. And he, he cleanses the temple. He, he pushes out where they're selling, um, selling things. And he calls the that this house of prayer, you've made it a robber's den. Now, wh- what's that about? Well, what they tell us is that to offer sacrifices, you had to have an, an approved sacrifice. And guess what? Often some of the things that you brought might not be approved, and so you had to buy the approved versions. And so that's what the robber's den, like it's, 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 a, it's a money-making scheme. But I think the other reason why he's incensed is this likely happened in the temple precinct in the only place that a Gentile could come. Like, they weren't allowed to go, but so far. And so this was a place where they might approach, and yet it was filled with commerce. And he's incensed about that. He's intense. Um, John tells us that he put up some ropes together to make like a whip. Now, if you've ever seen a movie of the life of Jesus, I think movie makers love this scene because, you know, Jesus goes postal on, you know, on the temple. And, and the, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll show this. They'll show him flipping over tables, and then he flips over the tables that have the cages of the birds, you know, and the cages break and the birds fly off because that makes a great cinematic moment. But that never happens. We're told in one of the Gospels specifically that he told those that had the doves, take these away. So even in his intensity, he was controlled. He was considerate. Because, you know, you can drive animals out and you'll get those. Um, but birds fly away, that's a little harder deal. He wasn't, he wasn't depriving these dealers of their wares. He was under control. And my point in this is, when we think of anger, oftentimes we can think of people doing unholy things. Jesus was completely in control in this intensity. Have you ever been rebuked in a holy way? So, um, my junior year of college, last day of the semester, and we're leaving, but you know, we're all going to leave the next day. And I am up late with a bunch of guys in a room. And, you know, we're just talking. And one of the guys had a trumpet. And I played the trumpet in high school. So I got the brilliant idea of playing it out the window. And I'm blasting away. And they just pound on the door a couple minutes later. And this RA, two floors down, comes into the room and says, Thirty in the morning. Um, I was a little embarrassed because I hadn't really thought about the fact that it was 2.30 in the morning and I'm making loud noises in a place where some people are trying to sleep. But what I, this is what I really respect because the next morning in the lobby, he greets me with a smile and talks to me. Like he wanted me to know that I still was okay with him. He was completely justified in yelling at me for being an idiot and playing a trumpet loud noises at 2.30 in the morning. 
perfectly legitimate for calling me out, but he did it in a way that was honoring to me as a person. I've always remembered that. I've always appreciated that about him. And I think when we see Jesus, we need to understand the dignity that he maintained in the midst of his intensity. It was intense, believe me. They, they laughed <laughs> appropriately. But he does that with respect. And I, we marvel at this. And this is, again, something we need to think about as we use the authority that God has given us because we have say over things. Which brings me to this next scene, which tells me again why this was so um, powerful. Because after he does that, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he heals them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. See, when Jesus clears the junk out of the system, then God can work. And so the blind and the lame come to him and he's able to heal them. He was not so intense that they were afraid to approach him. Think about that. I mean, if you just watch somebody you know, clear out a whole bunch of people with some intensity, would you come up and say, hey, can you do me a favor? And yet they did to Jesus. And then the children, they're... They're delighted. Years ago, um, I watched this talk show where the, the host, I think it might have been Oprah Winfrey, I don't know, but she had a person on, a guy on, who had helped people clear out their houses. This is before Marie Kondo, way before her. And he helped people get rid of clutter. And he said, it, he said in all the families where he had done this, where he had helped them get rid of stuff, that as soon as they got rid of the stuff and had open spaces, when the children came into the room, they began to dance. Every time. Like having freedom of clutter brought joy. And I, that's what I see here. I see when you get rid of the clutter in your life, when you get rid of the clutter in your space, and you have this freedom, it brings joy. It brings delight. And that's what we see here. And that's, again, you have to put the cleansing of the temple. You have to see that intensity. You have to bring that together with what the result is in terms of joy and in terms of delight. So, Jesus God leaves the temple and goes back out. So you know there's this time where he goes in and out of the city during this week. And one of the accounts that is significant is this fig tree. It's in two of the Gospels. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no one longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Now, what is this about? If you read a commentary on it, if you, if you look it up, oftentimes they will go to the next part of this because the disciples ask, how could this happen? And he answers about if you have faith, you can move a mountain. And so um, as he's saying that, it all becomes just about prayer. Like if we pray and ask God and we have faith, he will do it. Well, that's a good lesson. That's an important lesson. 
But I think there's something else here for us, too. So you have to understand about fig trees, and I'm not an expert on this, but this is what I've read, and that is that when fig trees have fruit, they have leaves. So they come at the same time. And so this fig tree should have had fruit. The fact that it didn't meant it was saying something about itself that wasn't true. In other words, it was being hypocritical. Think about who Jesus was most critical of. Was he critical for sinners coming to him needing help ever? No. Was he critical of the lame and the blind and those that wanted healing? No. He was critical of those religious leaders who put heavy burdens on people. What did he say? He said, do what they teach, because when they taught the law, they were speaking about truth. But he said, don't do what they do. They wanted to look good in front of people. Think in the New Testament, who was disciplined the worst? In the book of Acts, who was disciplined the worst? Ananias and Sapphira. Why? Because they wanted to look like they'd done a certain thing, even when they hadn't. Hypocrisy. Jesus calls out the tree because it's saying it has fruit. We, we talk about this a different kind of way. We talk about how, we, we were talking this morning, um, Jen was talking about having the law on our hearts. We, we don't want to just have this external conformity where we're faking it. We want to have it be genuinely from us. We want God's heart, law written on our hearts. We want to be transformed from the inside out. And the problem is we have created cultures within churches where we fake it. We pretend we, we aren't real with one another. And then we make these kind of rules and so if you follow these rules, well, then you're righteous and not deal with the issues of the heart. I was talking with someone on the phone. A lady called and was asking questions about the church and about our move and stuff, and she'd visited. And, and she said the nicest thing about y'all. She said, you know, when I come here, people are real. I thought, thank you. Like, that is so encouraging that we, she saw us as real. We don't want to lose being real. Yes, as followers of Jesus, we are trying to grow and become more like him. We want our character to be like his. We want to change our behavior in the ways that are obedient. But we don't pretend to do that. We can be honest with one another. We're going to make mistakes. We gave up perfection a long time ago. But we can grow. And I see this as an acted parable for his disciples to help them understand the kind of transformation he was wanting to lead them into as an inside out. In John 15, what does he say? He talks about a bearing fruit. And how do we do that? It's not by trying really, really, really hard. It's by abiding in Jesus. And so this kind of transformation happens as we abide. So, one more submission and authority issue. So, in the garden, we get this prayer where Jesus 
says this, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In Hebrews, we're told that he was heard and that God answered. Now, we're not told exactly what it was that God heard or what his answer was, but here it's clear that Jesus is preparing. He knows what's ahead of him, and he asks this. Now, what exactly is he asking? Well, we can have another conversation about that because he obviously doesn't, it would seem odd for him to be saying, I'm not going to go to the cross because this has been an eternal plan of his. But he prays this. And yet, later, when Peter tries to you know, save him, gets out the sword and goes after the high priest's servant, he tells him, put it away, and he makes this statement. He says, or do you not think, or do you, or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Like, I've got defenses you don't even know about, Peter. And he doesn't use that. He says he could have. He says, I could have him show up at the spot. Twelve legions of angels would solve this problem real quickly. He doesn't use it. He has authority, but he is in submission to the Father. Not my will, but your will. And I want you to think about that for yourself, too. You see, to each one of us, God has given authority. You have authority. There are things that you can say and do. You have the responsibility for what you say and do. You can choose to do things. And God wants you to use that. God wants you to exercise those things. But Jesus has given us a model of how the things that we have say over, we submit, we surrender to the Father's will. So, this is why Paul writes what he does in Philippians. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that the and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we look at Jesus, we have an amazing picture of what God is like. We see his tenderness. We see his grace. We see his mercy. We see him weeping over the judgment that is to come. We see his desire for us, for humanity, for people to turn and to turn to him and to become like him. But we also see his humanness. We see how he prepares for difficulty. One writer said that we don't know the depth of temptation. The scriptures say he was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. But he knows temptation to a further degree because he never gave in. We don't know the extent of temptation because we we give in sometimes. We don't know how bad it can get. But this writer says that Jesus does because he endured it through all of it. 
And so that's why Jesus is given a name above every name. He is worthy of our worship because he models for us what God is like, but he also models for us what we can be like as we follow him and learn to submit to the Father. So I've I just got three, three ideas for you from this. First, slow down this week and read the gospel accounts. I did a little reading plan. It's on the, um, you can get a copy of it on the uh, welcome table as you leave this morning. It's just something for each day of the week, Monday through Friday, and some questions to kind of think about. Slow down and revisit this account. It is so so worth your time to come on Easter having meditated your way through this. And uh, on Good Friday, we're going to have the worship space here open if you want to come and just sit and be quiet. I'll have some other things for you. If you come, I'll have something that you can use to, um, to kind of just meditate. But that'll give you a chance to come and just be quiet someplace outside your home if you want to do something like this then. Second, think about your own use of authority. How do you use it? Do you use it well? Do you use it for good? You know, God's given you say over things, and we want people who are believers to have say over things in good places, right? We want to use our authority that God gives us well. How are, how are you doing with that? And, and are you doing it in the same way that Jesus did? And then my third encouragement to you is stop pretending. Let's be real with one another. Too often in church culture, we put on the Sunday face, we put on everything's okay when it's not. And I'm not saying you have to tell everything to every single person you meet. There's restraint. But we don't have to pretend. We can be honest. Hey, it was a tough week. Or, yeah, I'm struggling with this. Or, will you pray for me? We don't have to look to the approval of people. You see how Jesus went to the Father. That's what we do. We want God's approval, not man's approval. We can be real. That's how we as a church be community. So I hope you'll spend some time with Jesus this week. I hope you spend some time looking at these dynamic interactions that Jesus has with religious leaders and with his disciples. They're rich with um, just his love and his character. And they have so much to say to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that Jesus means to us. Lord, may we be trees that bear fruit. May we be people who learn how to use the responsibility, the authority that you've given us well. And Lord, may we grow deeper in love with Jesus. May we follow him more closely. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.